Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ricky with a very hot bat. He's hitting 313. He has 13 home runs and 32 runs batted in. And he has a wind blowing out in his direction. Maxwell at first base. One out. The stretch by five. And the first pitch to Allen. Swing and a ground ball to the shortstop. Might be a double play. There's one. There's two. Now it's time for some baseball talk on Fighting Phillies Podcast. Here's Rich Baxter and Jim Mori bringing you the latest Phillies news, interviews, and analysis. And hello and welcome to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast. It's the all-star special edition here for 2015. My name is Rich. My name is Jim. And Jimmy, uh, welcome aboard to this program. The Phillies uh, go into the All-Star break. Not too many good things to talk about with no, this. No, they uh, got swept by the Giants. They got a 29-62 and 62 record. Uh, and uh, it's the worst It's the worst uh, winning percentage in their history at the All-Star break. And we're just waiting for them to be mathematically eliminated. Yeah, it's a shame uh, what happened with this team. And... Really, I didn't see that they were going to be this poor, no. uh, especially at this point in the season, Jim. Uh, they do have players that can play. Uh, they're just not playing well as a team. They get people on base night after night, but they just can't seem to score any runners. I know, and it's uh, and Mr. Cole Hamels was not a happy camper Friday night. Uh, he gives up nine on runs, uh, and they lose 15-2 to two to the Giants. Uh, now, it's... Uh, I told you in the last podcast, they got five players on that team. That's it. And I think they're all gone. I think uh, I think Hamels is gone. Well, Franco won't go. He's the only one. I think uh, Francoeur is gone. Ben Revere is gone. You know. Uh, so, and uh, I just, and there's, you know, they got a couple other ones. But they're, those guys are, you know. The, any, anything, they said the Pirates are interested in Jeff Francoeur. So there goes, there goes their punch in the lineup right there. Yeah, and it's just it's lapses of playing sometimes. Uh, we saw it yesterday. Ryan Howard hit a, a major league pop up that didn't get cat, uh, caught rather in uh, short center field. He was jogging uh, around first. He could have made it to at least second base uh, after the play. They they replayed it even, and you know, ninety nine times out of a hundred, that ball's going to be caught. But that's just what the Phillies have been doing lately. They've been uh, sort of lollygagging it. Uh, you got to play hard every play that you're on the field. Uh, we used to criticize Jimmy Rollins for not doing it at times, and you see certain players uh, 
doing it this year again quite a bit. Well, if I'm making the kind of money Ryan Howard's making, I'm going head first in a second. You know? so, <laughs> right, you know. exactly. But uh, it's ridiculous. I felt bad for, for Beasley, uh, Billingsley last night. Uh, you know, I just, I think he's a decent pitcher. Um, you know, I've been on his bandwagon since he came aboard. and I, I still think he's going to be, be, you know, productive. So, but they got... They got a lot of problems on that team. Uh, the I know you've been in Billingsley's corner uh, ever since the Phillies took him on, Jimmy. But uh, I don't know. I think his time has passed. I, I really well, do. Well, you know, he had Tommy John. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt with the Tommy John surgery. But okay. uh, I've also been in Ben Revere's corner since day one. Uh, you've been skeptical. Uh, I hate to say it, but you know, if we can get something for him, then trade him. You know, I hate to see him go. Because I think he's a good ball player. He's one of the best players on that team. But uh, you're going to see a whole new look on the Phillies next year. Yep, so we're not going to keep beating a dead horse, so to speak, uh, with this team. Uh, we're trying to stay optimistic with it. And we're glad it is the all-star break. It'll give uh, these players a time to uh, clear their heads, maybe come back, play a little harder, play a little better. But, Jim, for today's show, uh, the focus is on a guy that... Uh, Probably should be a future Hall of Famer at some point and a former Phillies player. Yeah, Richie Allen. The great Richie Allen. Uh, a lot of uh, you remember him very well, Jim, and we have a special guest here talking on the show t- with us today, Mitch Nathanson. How you doing, Mitch? Uh, good. How about you? Great, great. And you have a book coming out in 2016, so this is a far enough advanced preview for our listeners uh, here about Richie Allen. Tell us how you uh, got on to the subject and how you started writing the book. I first became interested in this when I was working on another book about a decade ago about um, the relationship between the city of Philadelphia and its baseball teams. It ended up being a book called The Fall of the 1977 Phillies about the Black Friday game in 77. Um, and, and along with the Black Friday game, I talked about the relationship historically between the city of Philadelphia and the A's and then the Phillies. And there was a little couple of pages in there about Dick Allen. And I didn't – the book was not focused at all on Dick Allen. There was Again, there was only a page or so about him. And I just took from there the basic story that as I understood it um, as a great player who was a troublemaker and a lot of – a piece of work – and I got more feedback from that little page than I think the rest of the book. People were, would come up to me and say, yes, he was a bigger jerk than you, than you wrote. Or other people would come up and they would say, no, you've got this completely wrong. Um, you don't understand this at all. And I was just amazed by the amount and, and the level of passion in these people's responses to me. So I figured I needed to figure out what was going on here and why there was such a divide of opinion. So that's where, I, that's, that's where that all started. That's awesome. And uh, Jim Mulry, my co-host here, uh, grew up watching Richie Allen, so we'll have some uh, firsthand observations from him. Jimmy, what do you remember uh, Richie Allen for as a Philly? Well, I remember he hit some monster home runs at Connie Mack Stadium. Man, he hit... He hit some home runs they're still looking for. Uh, I I remember the man. Uh, I always thought Richie Allen uh, could play. When he wanted to play, could play. I don't think he got along with Gene Mock, though. And uh, I don't know. I just, uh, like, like like Mitch said, he. some people said he was a jerk. Some people said he was a good guy. I don't know. Um, 
I do know that uh, he played his way out of Philadelphia. In my opinion, he played his way out of Philadelphia. Uh, I, I, I think the Frank Thomas incident kind of, you know, fed fuel to the fire. But his career was, I think he was better with the White Sox. What do you think, Mitch? Well, he certainly had his his best season with the White Sox in 72 when he was the AL MVP. And he also had a pretty good season in 73 until he got hurt. And in 74, um, he led the American League in home runs. So, yeah, he had three really good seasons, but he had a, a handful of fantastic seasons in Philadelphia. Yeah, he did. He And, um, you know, Hall of Fame, I think, I think the Phil should at least um, retire. His, he had number 15. He, they should at least retire that. Uh, the guy was good. The guy could play. I mean, the guy, guy. He reminds me a little bit of of, of Ryan Howard, the way he was built, the way he could hit the ball. He struck out a lot, uh, but um, you know, I I think the guy was a heck of a ball. He had won at Connie Mack one time over the roof. So, but Mitch, have you ever met Dick Allen? No. Uh, I I tried to contact him through several different people, through people he grew up with in Wampum and ball play, other ball players and things like that, and um, he um, he he didn't want to have any part in it, which 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 is fine as it turned out, because the the thing that interests me about this was, I mean, not so much him, but people's reaction to him, and and that to me was what was more fascinating, and so. He really, in many ways, was just a vessel through which people discussed other things. They might be talking about Dick Allen, but they really weren't. They were really talking about other things. And, and, and where people stood uh, with regard to the civil rights movement, free speech movement, uh, all these sorts of things, was in the sports pages in Philadelphia, was funneled through how they felt about Dick Allen. And, and Dick Allen didn't really have an opinion on any of those things, or at least not a public opinion. Um, but, but he just... He exuded the aura of someone who was countercultural, um, although in many ways he wasn't. Uh, and so I think people reacted to that. And, and to me, that was fascinating. Do you think the bit with Frank Thomas, I remember this like it was yesterday, you know, Frank Thomas supposedly put his fist through a headlight of an old choir's portion. I heard him and you mean, Alan you, had you a mean, You mean I Alan he, put his... Alan yeah, I heard his Alan, him and Alan had a fight. And, uh, or whatever, yeah, whoever. And, uh, but I heard they had a fight and that's what happened. Well, what, well, what happened was, there, there, there's two different events. And, and the, the Frank Thomas one occurred in, uh, on July 3rd, 1965, um, a little over 50 years ago. Uh, and that was a pre-game, it was a batting practice fight. Um, right. And then the other event, which you referenced, was Alan putting his, uh, his, his hand through a, um, oh. Uh, a headlight, and that was '67 in August right. of '67, and there were, there were, he, he tore up his uh, his wrist pretty bad right. from that. Um, there were a lot of rumors circulating around that that he didn't put his hand through the head through the um, through the light. And he he was cut up in a bar fight, um, and none of those are true. I mean, he he did hurt his hand by pushing trying to push his car a '55 Ford off of the curb. It was a rainy uh-huh. night. Um, uh-huh. But there were a lot of rumors that he was in a bar fight and he was sliced up in a fight and the Phillies were covering it up. And um, None of that is true. Uh, well, but, how did Frank Thomas's name get mentioned in that? Because uh, uh, they said that, you know, uh, something with Frank Thomas was implicated in that. And uh, 
Well, Thomas know. Thomas wasn't implicated in '67. He was gone in '67. He was gone uh, in '65. He was he was well, released after that game. Well, so uh, the, yeah, the Thomas thing was um, that batting practice fight okay. uh, where uh, Thomas uh, allegedly called Allen. Uh, Muhammad Clay or something like that. Oh, um, there, okay. there are different versions as to what uh-huh. um, Thomas called him. Um, yeah. Alan has said several different things. Um, different people have said different oh, things. Okay. His mother said something. Alan's mother said something quite different that she said that Dick told her. Um, uh, but whatever it was, yeah. uh, okay. there was uh, that, that story originated a few weeks earlier. Thomas was a guy who Phillies picked up in 64, and he was kind of a bench player, an occasional uh, yeah. player. But he was, he was known as kind of a needler. Yeah, so Thomas was, a, was the kind of a guy who um, just, just picked on everybody. And, and, and I guess he, he referred to himself as an equal opportunity needler. However, he seemed to pick on a lot of the black players a little bit more. Um, and um, he would pick on Johnny Briggs. Uh, it was a young outfielder at the time, and yeah, Briggs, Briggs. Yeah, and Briggs never said anything, but Allen um, stood up for Briggs a few times and went to Thomas and told him to knock it off. And yeah. um, and, and and he said, "Don't ever do that to me. You shouldn't do it to Briggs, but you definitely don't do that to me." Right. Um, you- but but Thomas was a guy. He he picked. There there was an incident in Chicago a few weeks before where where Thomas picked on Briggs and then Allen. And then in Los Angeles, he did it. He put one of these things where the you know, boy picked, you know, go get my, pick up my suitcase. I mean, it's a joke, uh-huh. but uh-huh. in the middle of the civil rights movement, it's not such a joke. And, and so then came this Muhammad Clay reference, and that started the fight. Okay. Um, I know that uh, why was Richie Allen traded to Chicago? Do you, that's the other reason, uh, question I have. I mean, he was probably, back in those days, the Phillies weren't very good. But he was traded to Chicago. What was after Gene Monka fired, or did Monka have him What was the purpose of the trade to Chicago? Well, he was traded to St. Louis. He 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 was oh, traded okay. after 1969. He was traded for Kurt Flood, who okay. who, who refused to report. And, and right. interestingly, the reason Kurt Flood refused to report to the Phillies initially was he didn't want to go to Philadelphia and receive the same treatment that Allen had received for six years in Philadelphia. Later, Flood broadened his argument and talked about more of the movement of players overall, and that's when he uh, sued Major League Baseball under the antitrust exemption to have it removed. Um, but initially, it was Philadelphia that Flood didn't want to go to, and he didn't want to go to Philadelphia because of all the things that happened to Allen. And, and, and so it was interesting. Flood had held out the season before in St. Louis. Allen had problems in Philadelphia. So the Cardinals and the Phillies decided to swap each other's problems. Um, but you know, ironic. When I, interestingly to me at least, the one who was considered the bigger problem, Allen, he reported to St. Louis. He held out for a little bit, but then he reported. Flood never reported to Philadelphia, and then sued Major League Baseball. Right, I know he never played for the Phillies. Yeah, he. I don't know. He might have made a difference, but uh, that's. I remember that now. Okay, yeah, you brought, you joggled my memory. Rich, do you remember anything about Richie Allen? The only thing I really remember about him is he wore the batter's helmet at first base. Uh, of course, I was only about five years old uh, when I became kind of a baseball fan at that point. So yeah, I do remember that helmet that he wore. Yeah, there's an interesting uh, thing about first base. an interesting thing about that. He the story always goes that um, he started wearing that helmet because people were throwing things at him in the outfield. Mm-hmm. 
Um, however, I looked into that and I found that that's not really the case. Um, he started wearing – he actually wore that helmet in the minors. Uh-huh. And um, he said that he liked to wear he, – he, he liked to wear the helmet because, remember, at those days, people only – it was very early in the era where people even wore batting helmets at all. And they, yeah. and they only wore them at the plate. Once they got on base, they took it off, and they either had their cap underneath or they put their cap in their back pocket. He didn't like putting his cap in his pocket because it got sweaty and it would get dirty if you, know, if, if you had to slide on a double or something like that. So he felt – the cap, the cap would look terrible, because all folded up like that. So why not just wear the batting helmet all the time? And so he wore the yeah. batting helmet in the minor leagues. When he got to the majors, Gene Mock had a lot of rules, and one of his rules was you don't wear your batting helmet in the field. And so he started wearing his cap in the field because of that. And as soon as Gene Mock was fired, he went back to the batting helmet. So he really wore it kind of uh, as a kind of a symbol of his emancipation from Gene Mock's rules. <laughs> yeah, and I remember uh, in the early 70s, a lot of players wore batting helmets at first. Willie Stargell, yep. uh, Willie the Philly, yep. uh, Montanez yep. wore one. Uh, I believe even Pete Rose at right. certain times wore a batting helmet at first. So it was kind of a thing that you did back then. Mitch, what do you think? Uh, do you think Gene Mock helped or hurt Richie Allen? I think that Gene Mock... Uh, was he knew the game. The problem with Gene Mock is that he didn't know how to deal with people. And, and I spoke to Dallas Green, and, and I think he summed it up best. And he said that nobody knew the game better than Gene Mock, but he was just an ogre when it came to people. And, and when he, he had so many rules, and, and he was such a manipulator. And he thought he understood people then better than they understood themselves. And that's going to be a problem when you have a guy like Dick Allen who is fiercely, ind- a fiercely independent and doesn't like to be handled. Um, and so, of course, in that era, there was, a lot more of, there, was, there was a lot more of management of people back then than there is now. But, right. but, but Allen was one of the first guys who just didn't take to that. And, and when you have a manager who is manipulative – and Gene Mock, by the way – um, he used to tell the team trainer he had a pitcher once who was nervous and and, and you know he he put uh, some anxiety he had the team team trainer put some anti anxiety pills medication in this pitcher's um, to, uh, cocktail that the trainer would give him who was the, the trainer was telling it was aspirin but it was actually um, sedatives uh, uh-huh. I mean that's you know you, you do that today you go to jail but yeah, but he, you know but that that was that was what Gene Mock did and and. You know, when you have a guy who doesn't take to that, that's going to be a problem. And that, that's a, a big reason, I think, why Allen did so well in Chicago is he played for Chuck Tanner, who was yeah. such an easygoing, laid-back guy. Do you think if, if Richie Allen had played today, uh, say, say he played for Charlie Manuel, do you think he would have, had a, uh, would have enjoyed it? I think he would have loved it. However, I think that there was a shelf life with regard to how long he would st- he could stay happy in any one place because even in Chicago, um, things turned bad at the end and and, and the this, the way it was organized in Chicago not only was it Chuck Tanner but Roland Heeman who was also a terrific GM a players GM um, both these guys were the exact opposite of the front office of the Phillies um, where you had Mock and then you had John Quinn and Bob Carpenter. Right, right. Um, who, who were, just didn't listen to the players at all. These guys did, 
and things work well for a while, but then uh, they disintegrated there as well. So I think he would have done better, but I still think that in the end, um, you know, he likes to go his own way, and, you know, uh, that's just... How old is he now? In his 60s, maybe? I think he's 73. Wow. Wow. So. Yeah, he's 73, Jimmy, born on March 8th, 1942, and as you said, he came out of Pennsylvania, Wampum, PA, Wampum. and I, yeah, I was watching a video this morning, uh, and he seems like he's settled down into his older age, Mitch. Uh, he doesn't seem like uh, he asks some old-timers uh, about Richie Allen, and the first thing comes out of their mouth is he was sort of a head case, but he certainly doesn't seem like one now. Well, actually, I... Every player I spoke to, and I spoke to a fair number of them, I couldn't find one player who said he was a bad guy. Um, every player said he was a good guy. That, 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 the main, um, I guess the main reaction I had to what they were saying is that he was quiet, he went his own way, but he was a good guy and um, a good teammate. And you know that's not something you think about when you first think of the term, of the word, you know, the name Richie Allen or Dick Allen. But um, you know, as a professional, being a good teammate, I think, means something different than it does in Little League. And I think as a professional, a good teammate is a guy who is able to produce. And um, I spoke to Ken Henderson, who was um, a teammate with, of Allen's in Chicago, and he had a very good take on it. He, he said, you know, superstars are treated differently, and they deserve on the professional level to be treated differently. And, you know, a superstar can do things or get away with things that a regular player perhaps can't. And this is certainly more true back then than it is now. Um, and, you know, if you, if you understood that and you acknowledge that, um, I think that would make life a lot easier, certainly for, for Alan. Um, that was one of the main issues he had. Um, I, I think the big issue with Alan was, in Philadelphia at least, was you know, there, there's always this question about two sets of rules. You know, every, he was always charged with, well, he, Alan wants two sets of rules. He wants to play by his own set of rules. Um, and that's, uh, that's true. I mean, there's no question he wanted his own set of rules. However, superstars were entitled to their own sets of rules back then. Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, all those guys were treated differently than the rest of the players. He want, Alan wanted to be treated like those guys. But the problem was, as a black player in that era... Black players were subject to another double standard, which was you have to conform, even if you're a superstar, uh, and, and he didn't want to conform. He wanted to be treated like Mickey Mantle was treated, like Carl Yastrzemski was treated, you know, a little differently, um, and he wasn't. And I, I really think a lot of the issue that surrounded Allen in Philadelphia was he wanted to be treated like a superstar, and instead he was treated like uh, everybody else, but also he didn't like this double standard where black players were expected to keep their mouth shut, not say anything, and just talk about how happy they were to be uh, playing ball. Um, he didn't. He, he didn't like it, and um, you know he looked around. And he saw other comparable players not having to do that, and he wanted that same treatment. Uh-huh. And that, that's not a bad thing. You, so you imagine uh, how much Mitch, money he'd make nowadays if he played, Mitch. You know, he was the highest paid player in the pre-free agency era. So um, if you look, um, that decade before free agency, and interestingly, for the basically the half century before free agency began in 1976, salaries were pretty flat. Um, there wasn't much increase from year to year, unlike, unlike what's happened since 76. But 
he was able to double his salary several years in a row. Um, you know, he held out a lot and um, he got a lot of criticism for that. But at the end of the day, you know, he he was the best player in the game. Or if he wasn't the best, he was one of the three or four best players in the game. And he eventually was paid um, at a level that was, you know, equal to his talent. And he wasn't going to get that salary any other way. We're talking with Mitch Nathanson. He's an author. Uh, going to have a book out on Richie Allen or Dick Allen, whatever you prefer, uh, coming out in 2016. And you got to love this title, uh, Mitch. God Almighty himself... The Life and Legacy of Dick Allen. Is that the uh, official title of the book? That's the title. Locked in. <laughs> so you have to look for that coming in 2016. Yeah, that, 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 by the way, that, that comes, that's a quote from uh, George Myatt. Um, he was the interim manager uh, for the Phillies. Uh, George Myatt, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he, he used he, to be a third base coach. Right, and, and he, Bob Skinner resigned in 1969, and Myatt took over the last month or so of the season. He held a press conference, um, uh, and at this point, things had really devolved in Philadelphia, and one of the writers asked Myatt at the press conference, do you think you can handle Richie Allen? And his response was, uh, I, I, don't, I don't believe God Almighty himself could handle Richie Allen. All I could do is try. <laughs> so that's where the title comes from. That's awesome. Well, we're going to take a, a short break here on the podcast, come back and talk a few more minutes about Richie Allen and his bid for the Hall of Fame right after this message. Hi, this is Gary Mack from Mets Musings, and you're listening to BaseballPodcast.net. You can hear my show and all the other baseball podcasts at BaseballPodcast.net, the home of great baseball talk shows. Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to Fightin' Phillies Talk Podcast. Are you a fan of the NBA and Major League Baseball? Would you like a sports show dedicated primarily to just that? Plus, we throw in a little fantasy baseball and basketball just for good measure. Featuring credentialed sports journalists, the guys who sit on press row, we bring you the stories that you want to hear. To check us out, please visit us at philnasons.com or on Twitter at FlashTennis31. Hi, this is Paul. And this is Eric from the Talk to Contact podcast, a Minnesota Twins baseball podcast. You're listening to the best of baseball podcasts on baseballpodcast.net. And we're back live talking on Phillies Talk Podcast here. We have Mitch Nathanson. He's got a brand-new book coming out uh, in about a half a year, 2016. It's going to be God Almighty Himself, The Life and Legacy of Dick Allen. And, Mitch, I'm sure you're aware that uh, there was a Hall of Fame vote last year by the Golden Era Committee, and Richie Allen just, just, just nearly made it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he missed by a vote, and rumor has it that uh, it was Pat Gillick's non-vote that cost him. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, the Golden Era Committee uh, took the place of the Veterans Committee, who used to vote in uh, players from a bygone era. This one in particular goes from 1942 through or 1947 through 1972. Uh, they get together from time to time. They began in 2011 and voted Ron Santo into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but in 2014, they reconvened 
And as you said, they have to get a 75% vote from a, uh, a list of uh, eligible voters. 16 people are eligible to vote in that. And that's a hard thing to do when you've got names uh, circulated like Dick Allen had to compete against. Number one, uh, Jim Cott, who's been trying to get in for ages now. And I, I can't believe he's not in the Hall of Fame either. He had a lot of wins. Uh, he's kind of a Jamie Moyer type, right? He, he played for many years and never had too many great seasons. He had a lot of good seasons. I guess he's the opposite of Allen. I mean, Allen had 11 great seasons, but no good seasons. So right. you know, he, Allen had as many great seasons as pretty much anybody else, but what he's missing are those six or seven additional average to good seasons, and which would have padded his numbers, and he doesn't have those. Exactly. Just uh, as if Ryan Howard would play on to maybe his 40th birthday, he may uh, qualify for some sort of hall type of uh, vote. He's certainly got the number started when he started with the Phillies. Ryan Howard, uh, Ryan Howard couldn't carry Richie Allen's glove. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Ryan Howard, Richie Allen at least was consistent, okay? Uh Howard hit 58 one year and 26 the next year, home runs. Richie Allen, you know, he hit, at least he was consistent. And uh, I just don't think that uh, Ryan Howard, no, I, I disagree, Rich. I think, I think Richie Allen was much better than Ryan Howard. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm just looking at the numbers. That's what I have the yeah, benefit of comparing. What do you uh, think, Rich? Comparing... Do you agree with me or not? Oh, yeah, I don't think there's a, I mean, Allen is, I, I, I think Howard had a good start, but you know if he had kept that up for eleven years, then you I have. The, then, well, but I he did. His, his injury really messed him up. His career. Yeah, uh, I mean that that Achilles injury. If you look before and after that Achilles injury, he's right. A but player. but I still think uh, you know Richie Allen, uh, Ryan Howard seems like a much you know more laid back person than Richie Allen. Uh, you know he might be a better. I don't know. But all I know is that, um, you know, Richie Allen, I, in my opinion, Richie Allen was a much, much better ball player. Uh, I think Richie Allen would come, uh, would come through a lot of times more in a clutch. Uh, and I, he wasn't a bad first baseman either. He, he had trouble defensively in a lot of places. I guess first baseman was his, his best position. Um, but uh, he was never known for his glove. Right. But I remember... My fondest memory of Richie Allen was in 1964. We moved down here, and all the papers raved about the young phenom in Florida, Richie Allen, Richie Allen. And Gene Mark said, "Bring this. I want this kid on my team." And he made he made Gene Mark look good for a couple of years. And then I guess he got in his doghouse or something or whatever. But uh, for what for a couple of years, Richie Allen was like, oh, I mean, tremendous ball player in Philadelphia. Yes, he was. Well, we have the memories of uh, Richie Allen, but uh, back to the Golden Era Committee. Uh, I don't know if you did any research for this on the book, but uh, do you think it's kind of fair to uh, to pit all these so-called great players against one another and expect one to come out with a, a 75% margin, uh, Mitch? I think the problem with the voting is that they limit the number of ba uh, of people any one person could vote for. So in other words... Uh, I think on that ballot, they're only each person on the committee could only vote for a maximum number of four players. And there's, you know, there there might be five or six players who are really close 
Um, and so if they if the if each voter splits their votes, nobody's going to get the the twelve votes. I, I think that if somebody is qualified, then they should they should be elected. And so I don't I understand in the general voting that I think that they're limited to ten. The sports players limited to ten names per ballot, but you've got a lot of people on that ballot who are nowhere close to Hall of Fame quality. When you have that golden era ballot, every one of them uh, is, is arguably qualified. So I think you ought to allow the, the voters to vote for, if not as many people as they want, certainly more than four. And in fact, there were several people after that election came out. Nobody uh, was elected last year. Santa was the time before. Um, and uh, a, a number of them said, well, if I had a fifth vote, I would have voted for Allen um, or the other one was uh, Oliva. And uh, both of those, I think, missed by one vote. That's, uh, that's another mis- miscarriage of justice. Tony Oliva. One of right. The, so uh, I think they, they both should have gotten in and they both would have gotten in, I think, had those voters been given the opportunity to vote for right. five players, and not four. Yeah. And that that's the shame of it all, because, you know, it's it's the fans that really get shortchanged and the player, of course, in the end, because they don't get to honor their old time heroes. Well, I think, so yeah, we'll discuss this another time. But uh, Pete Rose, regardless, he should be in a, he should be in the Hall of Fame. They should go by what they did. Pete Rose did nothing on the field to keep him out in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, okay, he gambled, but still, he was a, one of the greatest ballplayers ever lived, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think that's a farce. Yeah, and I, I did a podcast last night, actually. Um, and wouldn't it be great if they announced that at the All-Star game? But uh, I don't think <laughs> we're going to hear They'd that one. they go crazy in that town. Yeah, they really would. It raised the roof. Well, Mitch Nathanson, I want to thank you for coming on board Philly's Talk Podcast. I can't wait to uh, get the book in 2016. And uh, anything else you'd like to plug here on the show? No, just uh, just uh, wait till uh, I think March 1st, I think, is the publication date. When's your date. book coming out, Mitch? Uh, March 1st, 2016. March 1st, uh, okay. So uh, hopefully, you know, just in time for spring training. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll probably ask you to come back uh We'll do some post-book interviews with you uh, after the release, if you'd like. And uh, it was an awesome time talking with you. I had fun as well. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you. And that's Mitch Nathanson, uh, Philly's author. And, uh, Jimmy, I can't wait to read that book. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know. Richie Allen was a great, was a good ball player. I think he was better than Ryan Allen. The only problem... Like, like he said with Richie Allen, a lot of people didn't like Richie because he said what he thought, but it was a different era, Rich. You know, it was in the 60s, and, and Mitch is right about a lot of, a lot of things he said about the, you know, the racial things and everything. So, but I think that, uh, he, if Richie Allen played nowadays, I think he'd be a heck of a ball player. Yeah, we didn't bring this up, uh, during our chat with Mitch, but, I was talking to somebody last night, and they reminded me of a, a famous incident with Richie Allen where the Phillies fans were booing him, and he actually drew the word boo onto the field while the game was being played. So that that's very odd, and I don't think you'd probably see something like that happen today. No, I don't think so either, but... Yeah, so that, that was the first time I ever heard of that incident, uh, which was last night, and I was like, are you kidding me? You know, like... Unheard of, yeah. you know. Yeah. But as you said, definitely a different era back then. Um, things have changed. Things have evolved in the sport. Look at these guys now; they're getting paid millions of dollars, uh, millions and millions of dollars, Jimmy. So uh, what, what, you know, certainly. What measure what Richie Allen would have made if he was a free agent. 
I shudder to think. Yeah, he, he would have probably been one of those hundred millionaires yeah. for sure. And I think Richie Allen with these ballparks nowadays, who knows how many home how many home runs did he end up with, Rich? Uh, Richie Allen himself. Uh, let me see. I got his stats right here loaded up. Um, I don't think he has as many as Ryan Howard wow. has right now. Wow. But uh, as you said, he was he hit some long home runs that are probably a little more memorable. Right. Let me see here. Load his stats up here. Uh, he had a 15-year career. Right. So you know, even that's How many not. Play with the Phils. Sixty-four to what? He played, uh, let's see, came up in 63 for a cup of coffee, 10 games. He played nine seasons with the Phillies. Uh, His total home runs for his career was 351. Wow, I thought he had more than that. Uh, Yeah, he was with the White Sox for three years, uh, the Cardinals for one, uh, ended up with Oakland for one, uh, L.A. Dodgers for one, just a cup of coffee with them. He retired his last game... As a player was June nineteenth, nineteen seventy seven. Wow. Wow. He was with Man. he was against the Chicago White Man, Sox do, at that do game. I feel old. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy yeah. wow. Yeah, a lot of you know, we talk about that era. A lot when Mitch was right, a lot of great ball players. Oh my goodness. And uh you know, uh the Kurt Flood thing, I forgot Mitch Yellen went was traded for him. Kurt Flood uh, what he did was he challenged the reserve clause, you know, and uh, he said, well, I'm not going to play in Philadelphia because they tell, in other words, basically, he got the union in, in, in the baseball, and, uh, you know, if they had had it, you know, but Corfo retired after that, so, but uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it was very interesting, his book, and uh, I I know somebody wrote one on the 77 dollars, and it might have been him, I don't know, but, uh, I mean, on Phillies. So yeah, that that was Mitch Nathanson as well uh, about the '77 uh, uh, Black Friday yeah. game that goes back uh, probably eight to ten years ago. He wrote that book, so if you can find that, uh, that would probably be a good read as right. well. Well, we hope uh, everybody enjoyed this edition. It's special All Star edition where we oh, talked about Richie minute. Allen. What about your prediction, there, buddy? <laughs> we can't go till we do the prediction. Um, which prediction is that? Who's, who's going to win this darn thing? Who's got the better team? Okay. Wow. I know you're rooting for the next one, right. but who's got the better team? If I have to go out on a limb, and I will, as I've done many a time on the show, I'm going to pick the American League to do it again. Uh, they've won the last two. I think they're going to beat the Nationals again this I, year. I agree. they got a much better ball club. But you never know. You know, it's, it's really weird, but uh, uh, see what happens. But isn't it funny? That's for sure. The American League dominated for years, and then the National League dominated for years. You know, and then uh, yeah. now who knows? You know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like the tide. It ebbs and flows, yeah. comes back, goes back out, comes back in. But uh, and I got an All Star trivia, and then I will. The All Star game had one tie ball, one tie game in their history. Do you know where the game was played? Remember, they used to have two All Star games. Back in the sixties and seventies, do you know where the one tie was? Hmm, I'm gonna have to guess Chicago. Oh, you're close, Fenway Park. Okay. Nineteen sixty-one, they had two All-Star games back in those days, and the ironic thing was they had one in Fenway, one in Wrigley, and the one in Fenway ended up one-one. 
called due to uh, either darkness or rain. I forget what it was, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> and the very first All-Star game was played 1933 and was then Comiskey Park in Chicago. And fittingly, Babe Ruth hit the first home run. Wow, that goes back a few years. <laughs> um, but I also remember the 1964 All-Star game at Shea Stadium and ex-Philly Johnny Callison hit a home run to win the game for the National League. Yeah, that goes back a ways as well. Uh, 1964, of course, Callison was the MVP of that year's right. All-Star game at Shea when was Stadium. the last All-Star game in Philadelphia, Rich? Uh, the last All-Star game was in 1996. Goes back a ways. Uh, Mike Piazza was the MVP for the was, National League. They won 6 to nothing. Was the, uh, was was Citizens Bank Park was open then, right? No, that didn't open until 2004. Okay. So, really? So they haven't had one there yet? Hmm. I thought they, no, the Phillies, I thought they had. Hmm. Yeah, the Phillies are on the, probably still the list, but of course, yeah. uh, that's a long list. Next year, it's in, where is it next year, Rich? I believe, let's see, Kansas I have some City? notes on it here. No, it was already in Kansas City, uh, Petco Park in San Diego for 2016. Really? Wow. Okay. Okay. And the National League has it for the next three consecutive years. 2017 is Marlins Park in Miami. Yeah, and 2018, Washington. Probably will go back to the American League in 2019. Wow. I thought they alternated. Okay. That's really crazy. I know back... You got all the trivia there, Rich. What was the last year they had two All-Star games? Was it 60s or 70s? The last time they had two All-Star games was 1962. Wow, okay. But they did have to, yep. Okay. Yeah. 62. I thought it was later than that. Wow. Man, am I old. Yeah, Holy so, crap. So, <laughs> so that makes a, a good baseball trivia yes, there. Yes, it does. Well, but we want to thank all of our listeners. We've had a long-running show here, Jimmy. Uh, we're going to talk much more about the Phillies in the second half here for 2015. Uh, great show today, and uh, can't wait for the next one. I can't either, Richard. Maybe the Phillies will do an about face and uh, end up with if if they go 63 and 99. I think I'd be happy this year. <laughs> the way they're going. Yeah, yeah. As long as they don't hit the 100 goose eggs, we'll be fine. Right. But uh, everyone, have a great. All-Star break, and we'll talk to you again in a week or so on Phillies Talk Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.